Hey friends, before we start the show, I wanted to introduce you guys to EM Media and Video. They are local to Philadelphia. They are great for filming video productions for commercials, and they do audio voiceovers for radio commercials as well, amongst a slew of other helpful promotional production needs. So if you want to reach out to them, call 267-528-7890 to get your quote today. Hey everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like a snake in the grass. Probably harmless, but who knows, just don't step on it, you'll be okay. Today on the show, we're talking about culture, emphasis on the word cult, and uh, really talking about culture as it relates to the Graves model, uh, the development of imagination from two all the way up until four, and how that kind of defines our personal interpretation of culture and how we define ourselves within the culture at large, but then also talking about branding and how there's a form of culture within that as well with brands like Nike and Apple and Starbucks having loyal fan bases that often have an us versus them perspective of Apple versus Android and Starbucks versus, uh, uh, I don't even know what the other brands would be for Starbucks, but but you know what I mean? Just (laughs) there's an us versus them sort of perspective on a lot of those things. And, um, you know, we're going to break that down in this episode. And we also get to uh, talk a little bit about like social justice warrior stuff and uh, a little bit of politics. And I talk about my weekend really briefly. I'll probably talk about it a little bit more at, um, in a future episode, but talk a little bit about my weekend with Molly and I's weekend with personality hacker and how it was really great to talk to them and, um, have some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life. And it was really great. So I'll tell you a little bit about that after we play that intro song and hit the button here on dopamine. Thanks for being here. Let's go. Hi friends, how you guys doing? Welcome to springtime. I know I've said it a couple times, but like every time I hear this song, I'm like, springtime. <laughs> it's like the vibe I get. I'm like so excited. I'm like, yay, warmer weather. I mean, it's been cold up here, but we were down in Pennsylvania last weekend and uh, it was so nice down there. Like you don't think of Pennsylvania as nice weather, but as the spring approaches, it was lovely. We were down in Gettysburg visiting our friends at Personality Hacker and uh, helping them build their podcast studio and YouTube studio. Very excited for what they have planned coming up in the future. So be sure to go check out their podcast and YouTube channel, Personality Hacker. They are some really great friends. And we had a really good time talking to them all weekend long about topic after topic after topic. It was probably some of the most... um, exciting and fun conversation I've had in a, in a long time in a group situation. Like Molly and I have amazing conversations all the time. We go down intuitive rabbit holes and we're constantly helping each other grow. But I think it's really nice for us in particular to meet with and talk with people that are 
on a level that uh, there's fewer caveats we have to make when we're explaining something like we're on a similar wavelength with what we're discussing. So it, it was just really nice to have talks with people that feel like that you're not necessarily the smartest person in the room. Right. And I feel like that's important for anyone to have in their life, some room that they can enter and feel like, okay, there's something I can learn here. And that's really exciting. Like that's exciting for me as someone who is starting to go specifically into a personal development space and talking about Myers-Briggs and having all of these more specific uh, community focused uh, things in my life. And to find people who are a part of the nurturing of that is, you know, it's, it's amazing. It feels like it's, um, you know, it's something that we do a lot of our lives. Like we're searching for a connection point. We're searching for something that we want to be a part of. We're searching for some sort of way that we can fit into culture. We're to find something that, that is our culture. You know what I mean? Something that is our thing. We were, I mean, ever since we're kids, we're always thinking about how we can fit in. And I think as part of our development, we have to, we do have to find something to fit into though. It's not always the, you know, the typical thing that our parents push us into or whatever. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that we ended up talking about with personality hacker with Antonia and Joel is we talked a lot about culture and we talked a lot about how, uh, specifically Graves four culture. I mean, I think Graves four is really where, um, specific culture kind of, uh, create, you create rules around certain types of culture or you create, um, more specifically cults, I guess <laughs> that have rule sets and, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, where there's rule sets starting to be defined around culture. Right. Where you, if you think about spiral dynamics, which I talked about in a few episodes ago, um, really a few months ago, but it's probably like maybe five or six episodes ago, I talked about an intro to spiral dynamics and in spiral dynamics, you there, there's a, a lot of emphasis around between three and five, because that's where a lot of people in the world live these days. And, you know, it's important to know that spiral dynamics is not about hierarchy. It's not about better or worse. It's really about what fits your current life predicament and where your brain is at and where your life circumstances are at. And really, when you think about culture, culture feels like it starts to happen around two graves two, when you've got tribes and you start thinking about, um, you know, when, when tribal culture starts to think about what that group stands for, what that group means, you know, what that, what that group is uh, kind of imagining, what what comes out of that group, right? And that's when you start to get sort of expressions of gods and, you know, explanations for the things that are going on around you, you know, you're kind of, you know, sacrifices to the rain gods and things like that. Like, two is, I think, where imagination really starts to develop. And I think imagination is a key pillar of culture. You know, imagination is what creates things that typically defines what culture is. And I think that does that starts with Graves too, in in imagining those things. And especially as you're a kid, as we're kids, as we grow up, you know, a lot of our a lot of our nostalgia is defined by things that we experience when we're a kid. You know, a lot of that is our, our own personal imaginations or things that we are introduced to as a result of someone else's imagination and the collective agreeance on how rad something is in that culture uh, typically becomes what what culture is, you, you know, a culture between people. It's like what we agree 
is something that is good for all of us, good for the tribe, good for our, good for these people, right? And as you go through the Graves model, you kind of, uh, as you start to develop, you go into three and you go into four, you start to develop um, more stringent rules about how that culture defines how you should behave, right? I think, you know, three is typically, with three, you think about uh, the sort of more aggressive phase of like a teenager trying to rebel against their family and sort of trying to establish their own sense of culture. It's no longer about the family's culture. They're trying to come up with their own, right? And they're trying to come up with their own or trying to find their own people, right? It's like breaking away from the tribe and finding your own thing or, you know, forcefully making your own thing happen somehow or another or forcefully making the current tribe into something that you want. It becomes more individualistic. But eventually you get into four as you go through life and you find a way to kind of assimilate into society and and find a way to like, you know, pay your bills and get a house and get a job and all of that stuff, that this is where a lot of modern culture really lives. Uh, and what I mean by culture is um, a lot of the us versus them kind of aspects of culture. This, um, you know, my thing is better than your thing. Apple versus Android, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Mac versus PC, um, you know, uh, DC versus Marvel. You, you get a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of really strong feelings around the things that you've developed an aptitude for or appreciation for rather, um, you know, when you were growing up through two and three and suddenly become much more protective of those things when you're in graves four. And that becomes kind of like your thing. Uh, sometimes that's religion. You know, sometimes that is, um, uh, I, I always say that and I like start to like think of an example in real time and then I don't have one and I'm like, Oh, I just screwed myself over. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm going to learn to not do that. Um, but uh, it, sometimes it's about religion. Sometimes you grew up in a religion and your sense of imagination and wonder was through the lens of religion. And, you know, you that is brought into four as you get older and you start to become a lot more, uh, uh, I guess, I don't want to say defensive, but you're very, I, I guess, protective. Yeah, you're very protective of your worldview. And four is where a lot of those protections of individual worldviews tend to exist. And, um, you know, that becomes really interesting. We were, we were talking a lot about cults and culture and um, about the idea that uh, that there are essentially all sorts of cults existing in our reality that we don't necessarily see as that that basically we have groups of people following individual ideals and doing it to a point where everyone is, is so strongly agreeing with one another that it's kind of difficult to see beyond that. Um, and uh, so we get caught up in like social justice warrior stuff. We get caught up in protecting uh, feminism or men's rights or, um, you know, racism discussions or, um, you know, stuff about like, uh, talking crap about the president or, uh, Democrats and liberals and, and all of that stuff. Right. And like, it's, you know, it just becomes an us versus them sort of perspective. And sometimes when, so, so what was really interesting in our discussions was this notion of coming out of one thing, but then making a lateral move into another thing. And what I mean by that is like, if you were raised in a religious scenario, 
and you found your way out of that for whatever reason, it just didn't align with your perspective or you saw it was unhealthy or you had a, a repeat occurrence of unhealthy things in your life that drove you away from it, that uh, you were forced out of it. And sometimes that forces you to go into the next graves level, you know, if you're trying to make your own way in life and uh, move towards five, but sometimes you're just kind of looking for another group of people so that you can still exhibit the same kind of behaviors with them. And, um, you know, maybe instead of going from a religious stance, you end up going into a completely atheistic stance and atheism is also an ism. It's a, uh, graves for group mentality of us versus them. It's, it's atheism is typically an antithetical, um, uh, or I don't even know if that's the right word. I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> um, it's it's very antagonistic towards religion, and religion can be antagonistic towards atheism, and those are very dualistic uh, perspectives. And sometimes that can happen through the development of culture. Is that well? I shouldn't say sometimes it can. It, that's that's sort of like part of the natural progression of the development of culture. Is this idea? that you you're at some point defending your choices and sometimes you know sometimes that's the benefit of fives the entrepreneur types that we utilize that to our advantage to pit people against each other to create um you know to create loyalty for your brand right it's like coke versus pepsi like most people would say that there's no or not most people there there are plenty of people who would say that there is no discernible difference between coke and pepsi but through maybe your own experiences growing up or uh, the culture that you're surrounded by, you may have an affinity for one versus the other and maybe even make up reasons that don't necessarily make sense as to why you like the one versus the other. You know, you might think one is sweeter than the other when they're probably not that much different. Um, or, you know, you might experience uh, a version of it at some point and, you know, you'll die on that sword and <laughs> never drink the other one uh, for whatever reason. Right. And and that's really what I'm talking about is like, there's this, there's, there's like the Coke cult and there's the Pepsi cult, <laughs> you know, there's the Android cult and then there's the Apple cult. And I mean, you know, Apple and Android can be another really good example of that is like, there are, you know, there are people who will die on the sword of Apple, regardless of how effective the other types might be, uh, Android or PC might be for what they need or, um, you know, it just and, and, you know, there's like a loyalty there that it almost feels like it would hurt to make that shift. <laughs> it would be emotionally painful to make a switch from one to the other, even though logically it could benefit them to make a switch from one to the other, uh, depending on what their needs are. Right. Like Apple has essentially, you know, another way for uh, a brand typically taps into culture, you know, brand taps into a good brand, I should say, taps into the existence of emergent culture and brand like Apple. Apple has Apple and Starbucks and like Nike brands like that, brands that could probably be come up with different products and still be successful because there is trust and loyalty in their brand. And that brand has been developed on the backs of culture, backs of status of of yeah, status symbols. Apple has become a symbol of status. People love going to coffee shops and opening their laptop and showing the silver laptop with the Apple logo on the back. Like Apple laptops are probably the laptop that I've seen the most that doesn't have like a, 
a sticker on it or it doesn't doesn't have like a, a sticker that covers the Apple logo. Like nobody covers the Apple logo. <laughs> Even if you get a sticker that covers the entire thing, like most for the most part, most people don't cover the Apple logo because it, there's a status emergent idea there. And I think that is always the most fascinating thing to me. I love seeing that. Um, and you know, people love flashing, you know, the, their iPhones, you know, and buying the latest one and talking about it and showing it. I've had people the day after like a new Apple product comes out and they come to a meeting and they would never normally put their phone on the table, but the second they buy it, they're looking at it, they're doing something on their phone and then they just like plop it on the table and they almost put it a little bit further away from themselves than they normally would. They just kind of like plop it and let it go forward as a means to just kind of like, Hey, look at my new phone, <laughs> you know, like a little, little stab status thing. Right. And that's another aspect of culture that I think is really interesting is that it's all about hierarchy and status, which is like a very natural human thing for us to care about is this idea of culture and status. I'm going to take a quick break so we can play the, the ad thing and then we'll come right back. All right. So, yeah, Starbucks is an, another one of those examples of how status comes into play when you're thinking about culture. You know, I, <laughs> for, for fear of sounding ignorant, I'm still going to say it anyway, but, uh, you know, I think when I think of Starbucks, I think of like white girl culture <laughs> and it's kind of like FE culture. It's like, it's, it's another one of those uh, status things where it's just like, you know, spending five bucks on coffee and you have like, remember, I don't know if anybody's doing it so much these days, but you remember on like Instagram when, you know, Starbucks was like, it was really when Starbucks was the emergent um, brand. It's been that way for a long time, but there was like a few years ago, especially when Instagram was a thing where you'd get that photo all the time where like the girl's sipping on the Instagram and it's always the logo is out. It's very deliberate or enough of the logo to be able to see that it's a Starbucks thing. And there's something about like being able to say like, ah, I paid $5 for coffee and it was no big deal that, you know, kind of feels like this status symbol. Right. And I think, I think after a while it became just like a general coffee thing. Um, but I, I definitely remember at first that it was like very much all about Starbucks. It was all about Frappuccinos. It was all about whatever you got. And like, if there was like a picture of someone working on something, uh, taking some notes for class or writing a chart for work or something like that, there was always a coffee in the background. Right. And <laughs> that was, you know, those are, uh, uh, those are, those are like, uh, status signaling, right? There's, you've heard of, probably heard of like virtue, sick virtue signaling, but I, this is like a status signaling kind of thing. And you know, it's, it's inherent in our human DNA and this is not me talking crap on it. It's just, just like a f observation that brings me joy. <laughs> it's just like seeing these status symbols, uh, ever present in our daily world. And, and for someone like me that like kind of sees through it. And I mean, I've done it myself, by the way, I'm not, again, I'm not judging in a way that's like, Oh, their people are crazy. It's like, no, I've definitely done it myself. Um, it, it's just fascinating to me to almost have like an x-ray vision towards it. And it just brings me extra joy to notice it. And I think that's really fascinating. That's why I talk about this stuff because I kind of want you to go out there and notice it 
and and just like not to judge people, not to talk crap and or not to even change your own behavior and to notice it even within yourself. If you do this sort of thing and just like and just look at it and just be like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> you know, it's really fascinating that people do that. Um, and that they're really, you know, that, that we're naturally um, concerned with a sense of status like that is super fascinating to me. So this idea of culture is all about a projection of status. Like you think of sneakers, uh, you know, Nike in particular is a brand. Um, and I think I think the emergence of athleisure is also a good example of this as well. Like athleisure you know, champion, um, under armor. I don't know what other brands are starting. Adidas has kind of come back. Like all of these brands have sort of come back as a result of athleisure and athleisure is something that, you know, young men started to pick up on and it became a part of fashion and, you know, started to spread into culture because it was, it turned into a status thing. If you're wearing athleisure, then it shows, you know, some level of attraction, uh, based on what people agreed are is attractive, <laughs> you know? And, um, it's just, it's just generally fascinating to me that, that, uh, humans can get to a point, like, it's fascinating that we can get together to f like determine over a collective section of nodes going from one person to the other, that we can eventually select like what is attractive based on what everyone agrees is a status symbol, right? Like, you know, cars didn't exist a hundred ish years ago. I don't remember when cars were made, um, over a hundred years ago. But, um, when the first, when the model T came out, there was no status associated with the model T. It was like this weird new thing. No one knew what it was, you know, at the time it was probably dependent on how many horses you owned <laughs> that showed some semblance of status, right? Like status is changing all of the time based on what culture is suggesting is uh, status full, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, so, you know, the car eventually grew into a status symbol as design for it became ever present as supply and demand fluctuated and made it more of a demand. And it started as a practical thing. You know, people just wanted cars so they didn't have horses anymore. They could travel longer distances and then design came into play and it started to be such an abundant project or an abundant cultural thing that people started to seek them out as something that they could show off. You know, you could show off that you even had a car versus having a horse. And then you could show off that you had a certain type of car versus having just a plain old car that was useful for getting from A to B. And then you had, a, you know, a special car that had extra rims on it or something special on it. Right. And then you have a larger car and it's like, oh, the way you can carry things with this car. <laughs> That's cool. And that becomes the emergent, um, you know, status symbol car. Right. And uh, over time, you know, you get brands that that after a while, you know, unless you trust the brand most for the most part a lot of cars look like each other but brand is about making something special and you know tesla for example came out of the came out of the gate and um i mean they failed at first but then they came back and they uh tesla the car manufacturer not the uh not 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 the guy that david bowie played on uh, the prestige was it the prestige um one of the magic movies that came out of 10 years ago. And, um, uh, 
Tesla, the company, they came out with this electric car, which other companies were trying to, the, the Prius came out, uh, but it was, the Prius came out and it was this like boring little electric car. It was like this, oh, you can get electricity for your car. Like you could pay less for gas, but you're going to look like a dunce doing it. <laughs> and then Elon Musk came out with the Tesla Roadster and they were like, oh, I could have luxury and be like environmentally conscious. That's interesting. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of just like trick someone into using status for like, you know, the good of humanity. And, you know, that started to trickle down into the Model S and the Model, Model X and now the Model 3 and uh, the Model Y is coming out. Um, you know, I don't know when, but relatively it's some some kind of ha like hatchback version of the Model 3, essentially. And, um, you know, these these cars are, you know, they're sleek, they're modern, they look like the future, which is now. And um, they make promises of a greater future. And they the, the only issue is that Tesla hasn't really tapped into culture as a whole just yet they've ca they've they've captured an innovative culture innovators culture people who believe the people that they've tapped into are people that want to make the world a better place that have money and want to show a sense of status and um you know they haven't quite tapped into the the rest of society yet because they're still even in the um the 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 sort of green movement culture, the, the green movement uh, idea of saving the planet and using less gasoline, there's still really only a few models of cars that, um, that exist in that realm. Right. So there's like this disparity between like the Toyota Prius, maybe a couple other electric cars, and then you've got Tesla on the other end. And there's like not enough of a disparity to make Tesla the premium uh, sought after uh, brand by the masses. And I would suggest that if they, it was sought out by the masses, that it could become a culture movement and more people would probably be tricked into, uh, using better emissions, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's still kind of a status symbol thing. It's an, it's an, there's still an, an elite aspect to saying, Oh, wow, you've got a Tesla. That's rad. Right. And, um, you know, that becomes a sort of VIP aspect of culture. Like everyone wants to feel a sense of status. Everyone wants to feel important. You know, whether or not you admit within yourself that you want to feel a sense of status, you want to feel important. And feeling important is what status is, right? You want to feel like you're important to someone, to the universe, to the planet, to your country, to your state, to your family, to your neighborhood, to whatever. Like you want to feel important to someone like everyone does. Unless maybe you're a psychopath, which is like, you know, that's a different set of criteria. But, you know, the, the idea here is that, you know, culture is fascinating. <laughs> you know, culture is this thing that uh, that that we buy into as a means to feel a part of something and to feel important. But sometimes by feeling important, we end up making other people feel unimportant. And we feel like there's always has to be opposition to that. And I simply am here to say that that's just not true. You know, for you to get out of atheism, for example, doesn't mean that you have to take on Christianity. To say one thing doesn't imply that you have to take on another thing. 
right? To say that you believe that women have the right to, um, to get an abortion doesn't mean that you agree with murdering babies, right? It's like not, that's not the same thing, right? It's, it's, it's much more nuanced and complicated than that. Right. And typically, you know, when you're immersed in a culture of an idea, like a social justice thing, for example, you know, it, it becomes this polar opposite situation. You know, it's like if you you're either with us or you're against us. And that's never helpful in any context. You know, I talked a lot in the context of brand and really like harmless things. But there are situations in our lives right now within social justice, within we're ostracizing a lot of people for things that are not as obviously bad and ruining careers and ruining lives because of something that we you know, maybe there are things we're not tapping into ourselves or we're not willing to look at the nuance of things to determine, you know, a, a course of action. And we're kind of re- entering a realm also, interestingly enough, that we're entering a lot of spaces that don't necessarily have an instruction manual for how to get out of it. Like, you know, there's no there was no instruction manual for how you handle slavery, like post slavery. Right. So there's a lot of discussions right now around reparations and how do you handle that? How do you how do you make that a thing that is, um, you know, uh, that you make good on that? Right. There's like no there's no instruction manual for that. There's no instruction manual for how this movement of um, of, of feminism and intersectionality and all of that stuff, like there's no clear idea or definition of what that actually is supposed to look like or how you're supposed to get there, right? All that we know that there are things that need to change. And a lot of people are just frustrated and want to force some sort of change. And that typically means forming a sort of cult and attacking other cults, you know, culture versus culture. And that typically does not get us anywhere. You know, and um, that's just the fascinating thing. I'm like, I'm not here to offer any solutions other than I'm curious to always check within myself and for you to check within yourself, like what cult are you ascribed to? And it's not a bad thing if you are in one, you know, like I used to play poker a lot. I was in the poker cult for a little while and um, I was atheist until probably 2014. And now I don't really subscribe. I don't at all subscribe to a label of spirituality. Um, I have a, a general view, like a holistic sense of, of, uh, existence and all of that stuff. But I don't, I don't subscribe to a specific thing and I don't hate on other specific things. Right. I understand the, the nuance of, Uh, perspective. And I think that's really the big key indicator there, right? Like once you can get into a place where you can um, understand people's perspective and understand the nodes in someone's system that has led to their perspective, I think we can have a lot more patience for, you know, for, for why someone is saying what they're saying or what they, why they believe what they believe, or even understanding why we're so angry at things that there are no answers to. Right. <laughs> you know, and, or, or treating the other side, quote unquote, as if they should know the right thing to do when we're still wrestling all the time with figuring out what the right thing to do actually is in terms of like the social justice stuff. Right. Because there are so many things that fall within that framework. There are so many things that still need to be discussed and worked out. Like we still have to define what peace even looks like 
Like, I don't think anyone really actually knows what peace looks like. I think peace on earth is typically this discussion point of like, everyone's just happy and singing Kumbaya. But is that really what that is? Is peace that is, the, is that the idea? I don't, I personally don't think so. I, cause knowing how it works within my relationship, like we're not always peaceful. Like we're, we love each other. We care for each other. There's passion there. And, but there are times where we have to talk about something that is difficult or we have to work through emotions or we have to, there's friction points. And I think when we ignore those, those friction points that when things get, that's when things get worse. But if we were also to ignore those friction points in a way that we are attempting to be happy that can also make things worse. And often I think the perception of peace is that we have to ignore the difficult things. And I don't think that's true at all. To maintain peace, we have to improve our ability to, to work through nuanced conflict. That means listening to people. That means holding space for other people. That means potentially being wrong and being okay with that. That means opening yourself up to other cultures, to other ideas, so that you have the opportunity to learn something new and apply it to your ideas as well. And I think there's a fear. I think there's a fear that exists that if we open ourselves to other cultures, to other ideas, that it's going to change our identity and who we are. And that we'll never see our version of ourselves as we are now ever again. And our ego thinks that is death right? Our ego wants to live on forever and ever and ever in its present state, in its ever present state. It doesn't want to change. It doesn't want to try new things. It doesn't want to take risks because everything is scary to the ego, but you are in control. Your ego is an automatic state. Your ego is a, a baseline of human primal behavior that you as a conscious human being have opportunity to take control over that you can do something more than what your brain expects of you, that you can do something more than what society expects of you. You can do something more than what culture expects of you or your particular culture expects of you to not only share the good things about your culture and put it out there and be proud of certain things, but to also listen to other cultures and integrate other cultures into yours and teach other cultures about your culture to help each other be more peaceful, to work through conflict in healthy ways so that we're not making assumptions about negativity, about things that we don't know about that lead to ever present conflicts because we're missing information, but that we have the ability to connect with one another, to really listen to one another, to really be there for one another so we can be better people overall. Yeah, that felt good. <laughs> Sometimes I have moments where I'm just talking and I'm like, am I still talking? What? It was like a disembodied experience. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> but um, I hope all of that made sense because I think I, I get really frustrated with myself when I get into those spaces, when I get into like an us versus them sort of perspective. And I think it gets really frustrating when I see people who are good, good people, like really amazing, wonderful people get caught up in this us versus them framework and they get caught up in what their ego wants from them, what their ego wants them to protect from themselves. And like, I just, I want to see more and more people unleashed. I want to see more and more people who are able to give back to the world and really express their creativity in ways that they know how without these windows and bars in front of them that keep from, keep them from experiencing the vastness of, of existence. You know, I love that we have 
all sorts of cultures. I love that. I love comic books and video games and I can fit into that nerd culture space, but because I'm a nerd doesn't mean I should shit on athletes and and jocks, right? <laughs> that, that old dichotomy of, of geeks versus jocks, right? Like that's just not how that works. Like I have huge admiration for the things that other people do that other people are doing in life. Right. And I think if I can leave you with one last thing is to, to check that, to see like, okay, if you're feeling antagonistic towards someone, what is going on there? You know? And sometimes there's even a sense of envy. Cause I remember when I was atheist, I would feel envious towards people who had a religion, you know, who were just what I felt like they were just submitting to something and that I felt that their life was easier as a result of that. I felt envious of that. And nowadays I feel like I can flip the script where if anything, I can learn to admire people to flip the script from envy to admiration that I admire people who are doing great things that are actually helping people regardless of the framework. If there are people out there using religion and God and that concept, to actually help people and change lives, then I have a massive admiration for that person, right? It's not for me to tear down the idea of religion. It's, it's for me to tear down the idea that someone's going to use negativity in any kind of way to put up walls between people, to not let anyone grow, to be respected, to understand that humans are humans and everyone deserves love. That if people are going to tear that notion down, that's when I can step in. But other than that, regardless of the framework of how someone's going to help someone grow and develop and be a better person, that I can support wholeheartedly, regardless of what that looks like. Because that ultimately is what is best for humanity and what is best for people. That subverts any us versus them mindset that anyone could get in. And I think that is incredibly powerful and important to think about. So I want you to think about your us versus them moments, what sticks out to you as something that you are sort of living in that has a very us versus them mentality tied to it. It could have been like me where it was atheism versus religion, or it could be you're a religious person who sometimes you listen to what I say and you have maybe an an us versus them against me or against uh, anyone who is anti-religion, quote unquote, or, or atheism or agnostic or someone who is a different religion like Muslim or Hindu or something like that, right? Like maybe there's some sort of us versus them there that you need to reconcile with. And I'd be curious to know what that is. If you'd be willing to share that with me, that'd be amazing. And if you want to call in, you can go to anchor.fm slash dopamine and you can leave a voice message here on Anchor if you sign up for an account. That would be incredible. I'm going to work on getting a website up so that I can you can do that separately because I feel like relying on Anchor is not the best idea going forward. That's something I want to work on. But for now, that's the place to do it. And you can also hit me up at Let's Go C-Note on all the social channels. That's where I like to connect with people. Feel free to send me a message if something resonates with you or if you have a question, happy to answer it on the air in a future episode. And you can also leave us some love, some monetary love at patreon.com slash dopamine, um, which would absolutely help me up to help me out to keep this show going. And I also will take your feedback on there. And if you have anything you want to say and share on the show, you can do that through Patreon and you will get into the front of the line there as well. So that's it. Um, If you want to check out the INTP Cosmic Calibration course, you can go to bit.ly slash INTP. Nope, that's wrong. bit.ly slash Cosmic INTP, all lowercase 
and go check that out and sign up for that. The first uh, segment is free and then the rest is a paid thing. And, um, you know, that also helps me out, but it helps you out because that's going to be 15, 45 minute to an hour segments of, you know, topics and subjects related to INTPs and like, Basically, the work that I'm trying to do is to remove the INTP stereotype from the brains of INTPs to help them grow and develop as loving, intelligent, wonderful, hardworking, fun people that they are and that there's so much that they can give to reality that uh, it's helped me to think this way. And I think it's going to help other INTPs as well. I think there there needs to be more content out there. So I'm taking the reins and doing it. So that's it. That's it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this show. I really, really appreciate it so much. I think we are approaching 80,000 listens all time. So if you have been a loyal listener, thank you. Thank you. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know who you are. So again, hit me up wherever you can. If you want to join our group, dopamine.group, please fill out the questions. If you don't fill out the questions, you will automatically be declined. That is how that works. Rules, boundaries. We got to do that sometimes. <laughs> I don't want anyone just popping in and causing chaos. That's just how it works. So, all right, I'm gonna go eat a bagel because that's how I live my life. I'm I'm a I'm a bagel versus waffle guy. No, I'm kidding. I love all of them. Um, chicken and waffles all day long. Oh my god, that sounds so good. Oh, I should tell my little Molly to stop at the store and get some chicken, and we can get some waffles, and we could. That's a good idea. I'm gonna do that. That's really exciting. All right, I'm gonna wrap up the show. I'll talk to you guys later. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later. Just a reminder for you guys to go check out EM Media and Video by calling 267-528-7890. They are a way for you to do cheap commercial production uh, for video and for audio. They do voiceovers and can help you get into the market. So they primarily work in Philadelphia, but they can help you anywhere across the country. So again, 267-528-7890 to get your quote today. See you guys.